close call with death. Have you had one? I have. I've had a lot of them, but who's counting? In this session, we'll talk about the events of those of us that have come dangerously close to death and had the great luck or destiny to elude death and carry on. Enjoy the show. So tonight I have uh, Brett Hutchings, a guy that I've been friends with now for like over 25 years. I think it's been that long, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've known you since I've known Gina, and we just uh, we're hitting twenty six years this year. Yeah, so. so you mentioned Gina, and Gina Hutchings is your wife, and she's uh-huh. actually uh, she's my boss. I mean, she's the yeah. person that hired me at my work at Diversified Insurance Group. So um, I, because I work with her, I get a chance to check in on you often. So over all the years, we used to do cool things together long, yeah. long time ago, and travel around. And uh, now that I work with her for the last 11 years, I've been able to check in on you and your career often. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty cool. What um, Brett does and why he's on the show uh, tonight is that <clears throat> he has a military background. Um, you, you learned to fly helicopters in the Army, correct? Yeah, Tell the uh, Utah Army National Guard that's stationed out here in West Jordan. Okay, that's where I got Western Utah. Training, yeah. Awesome. And you've been flying for how, how long? How many years now? It's kind of weird to think about it, but over 35 now good gosh yeah well and yes they've had helicopters that long and yeah so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and you also have a, a career where you started uh, flying with air med right first. at the university of utah yeah y- yes worked and, with them for about nine years and for those who don't even know what air med <clears throat> is that that's a li- that's a um ambulance helicopter yeah service. the they used to call it uh Helicopter EMS, Hames flying, and then they changed the, the name to uh, Helicopter Air Ambulance, you know, because they didn't like to put the emergency thing because they felt like it was contributing to crashes in the industry and stuff. Just huh. kind of weird thing. Interesting. We're going we're gonna <clears> to <throat> learn lots of uh, background things uh, tonight talking to you. Um, you also flew for Life Flight? I did, yeah. After uh, nine years with Air Med, I went and spent about four years over with Life Flight. Fantastic. Yeah. You then, as of late, have been uh, flying for Utah Highway Patrol. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know that they have helicopter uh, right. services. So w- what did you do for them when you were flying? So I was with the uh, Utah Highway Patrol for uh, approximately six years. I uh, tenured my uh, employment with them this last June, um, primarily doing search and rescue missions uh, and law enforcement were the two primary things. In addition, we got to fly the biologists and uh, various other state entities and dignitaries and stuff like that around. So it was kind of a fun job. That's fantastic. And you know what, just so that I do not forget this, I'm going to bring it up right now. What, what? was the coolest thing that you found out there in the desert oh. uh, when you were flying uh, <laughs> My, on the helicopter for them? So, yeah, that was back in, uh, what was that? It was in 2020? Yeah, it was During in 2020, 2020 at the end of November 2020. Um, I happened to be flying some biologists for the uh, Division of Natural Resources around. We were looking for bighorn uh, sheep and happened to stumble across what has come to be known as the monolith. And uh, <laughs> You were the very first ones to speak see that yeah yeah it was kind of funny one of the uh guys that was one of the biologists named wade was the one who actually spotted it he was in the back of the aircraft and we flew over it and he's like turn around turn around and i'm like what and he's like there's something back there we got to go check it out and so we went back and then a lot of people have probably seen it but uh 
once we circled around it and we located what Wade was looking for, you know, we thought, well, that's kind of unusual. We better go check it out. So we went and found a spot to land in. And Wade and Brad and uh, Guy, or not Guy, I'm sorry, um, Dustin, one of the other biologists, all three of them headed out and started walking down to uh, the monolith. And I happened to grab out my iPhone and started filming him and was kind of cracking jokes about, oh, yeah, you know, here we go to check out this alien life form and all this other kind of stuff. So... We, um, as they were walking down, then we kind of went and explored the thing. We're trying to figure out who put it there and what exactly it was. And, um, we, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. I, I say this would have been a nothing burger if people weren't so cooped up because of COVID at the time, you know, it would have never have hit the airwaves the way it did and stuff. So anyway, uh, we took a bunch of pictures of it, kind of goofed around, looked at it, tried to see if any artist had put his signature on it or anything. There was nothing there to really say who, who had done it. And there was like no <clears throat> other footprints around it or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. It's really right? in an you isolated section. Yeah. It's in a really isolated section down there in San Juan County that, you know, th there was a road out around it quite a ways. Yeah. Um, but you know, nobody had stumbled on it. Uh, I think in about four or five years that they estimate that it had been there, people wow. went back and started looking it up on Google earth and found it. And, uh, saw when it first appeared and it was about four or five years ago, I believe. And, uh, anyway, it was kind of interesting because the whole thing just ballooned. I actually sent a picture to the guys that I work with and I says, Hey, does anybody know what this thing is? You know, anybody has seen it before? One of them threw it out on our, uh, Instagram account that the unit had. Yeah. And, uh, then I think it was KSL and 13 picked up on it and Andrew Adams, uh, called and wanted to do an interview about it and uh when i got the call about it, i said look at andrew it's it's really nothing it's just you know probably some artist creation literally his words to me were i know brett but it's a really slow news week and i need a filler piece <laughs> and so we're no, kind of that works yeah and so it was kind of funny i did a zoom interview with him and we were talking about it and uh Anyway, I sent him, you know, the pictures that I had and the video I had shot. And I said, look at Andrew, we really don't want people to find out where this thing's located. Because I said, it's actually really cool. It kind of, I thought this was, to me, it was along the same lines as the tree out in the West Desert. You know, it was an artist's conception. It was no different to me than the wave down in, in northern uh, Arizona and stuff like that. It was something that was really cool. And yeah. it contrasted really well with the Red Rock and stuff like that. So I said, you know, we really don't want people to know where it's at until the BLM, because it's on BLM land, until they decide what they're going to do. And uh, he said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure we don't tell, you know, we'll crop the pictures so that people can't figure it out. <laughs> anyway, we hauled off, and uh, so I sent him all the video, and, and then I said to him at the end of our discussion, I said, you know, Andrew, it reminded me of that movie, 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, where the chimps are all jumping around the monolith, you know. And it had been so long since I'd seen that, you know, that show was done, I think, back in the 60s or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I'm like sitting there. And, and so after we got done with our conversation, I sent him a little clip that I found on YouTube. And if you've seen the whole story that he wove together, he actually was very creative in how he did it. And I, it was pretty funny. And, uh, you know, I got a big kick out of it and stuff. That's cool. And little did we know that that thing was going to blow up. I mean, Gina, my it, wife, was getting calls from NBC and all these other affiliates and stuff like that wanting to, wanted interview. to interview you. Yeah, and I was still back down south with all the biologists, you know, out of cell phone range and everything. I was getting calls from the largest UFO 
consortium in the world that's based over in Hawaii or something wanting to interview me. They called me. I think somehow they got my number and called me like at about 1 a.m. Oh you know, and I'm like, guys, I got to be up at five, you know, and they're like, well, we people said that they saw it fall from the sky, you know, and all this. And I'm like going, well, it may have fallen from the sky, but they used a cement saw to put it in the ground. I can tell you that <laughs> right now. So, but it was, it was, you know, kind of fun. And then I guess all these guys on Reddit got hold of the thing and just kind of, it just, they tried to figure out where it was. And within the space of like about three or four days, they were able to actually go in and see the, uh, the tracks of where we'd flown. Um, I'm mm -hmm. not sure what application, uh, app they used to find it, but, uh, anyway, somehow, yeah, within about three days, they pinpointed its location and stuff. And like I say, I think, long. People, yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I was getting calls from my friend. I got a buddy over in Switzerland. He calls me, hey, is this you? And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> crazy, isn't it, and stuff. I mean, it, it went all around the world. I was yeah. kind of shocked, and I just, yeah. like I said. you became a celebrity overnight. Yeah, it was kind of, it was nutty. Yeah, my kid, uh. was, my grandkids were getting called into the principal's office and stuff. Hey, is this your grandpa? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> so crazy. It was. I just thought, like I said, if everybody hadn't been cooped up because of COVID, it, it would have been nothing. Um, you know, but it, it became been, something. And so it was kind it of was fun. Kind of fun. Took yeah. everybody's mind off of yeah. it. And it, people were having fun with it up until mm -hmm. those idiots tore it down, oh. you know, which really That's irritated sad. me. Yeah. 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 It was like, wasn't there right? Wasn't there, you know, going no. to do it? You know, I mean, everybody no. says, well, it wasn't the artists who ever put it up there. You know, they didn't have permission. And I agree with that. But it's like doesn't give you guys the right to go in and tear it down, no, you know? It, and that was mainly to recycle it. Yeah. Well, the thing with it was, we don't want people to know where it was because we were worried they'd go in and just shoot it full holes right. and everything else. Yeah, you know? That's what people do. Yeah. It's kind of like, it seems important. to be the Utah way around here. You uh, know, can't even have a stop sign without guys going and shooting, shooting holes in it. Yeah. You know? That's wild west. Yeah. Well, so. um, you know what? Your, your life is super interesting because of what you do and you're just a fun loving guy. You have all kinds of energy and, and you're looking for excitement, but you actually, in your um, life of be, being a helicopter pilot, um, you know, you keep doing these missions that manifest uh, lives that may, need to be saved. And, um, and that was prior to the Utah Highway Patrol piece. But we will get into um, something that you did while you were with the Highway Patrol that perhaps uh, you might want to talk about. Um, and, and I'll refresh your mind on that one. It was electrifying, if that sparks your memory. from oh. The other thing, though... Um, this is a two-sided story where um, th this session is always about a close call with death. Uh -huh. The reason for the podcast is to talk to people um, about close calls they've had with with a, an ex situation where you could have died, you didn't. And what is life like after that? You know, wh What is the rest of your life going to be like? Did it change your mindset? Did it make you feel a little bit more appreciative of life and things like that? So you um, have gone out and seen lots of people that you've rescued with, um, the, with the life flight helicopters. And, and I want to jump into that in just a second. Um, while working those, though, the reason why I say it's a double-edged sword is because you also put your life in great danger in, in being that helicopter pilot, flying in adverse conditions, um, all hours of the night, weather conditions, um, uh, you know, you really have to trust your equipment that it's going to work perfectly to get you in the tight situation that I've seen you have been in. Um, it's, it's, it's a dramatic life that, that you live and have lived for years. And I just want to, um, capture some things with you, Brett, 
B- before we get into the stories themselves, tell me about your family situation, family dynamics. Uh, you know, you're married, of course, family, kids, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. Yeah. So as we already talked about, my wife's name is Gina. And uh, I have uh, two older sons, Ryan and Brandon. My oldest boy lives up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um, and then I have a daughter named Mallory, who lives not that far from us with uh, her husband, uh, Chad, and uh, my two grandchildren, uh, Felix and Milo. And, uh, and then I have uh, Brandon, my second oldest son, his wife, Lydia, and uh, my other two grandchildren, Riley and Douglas, are from them. And then we have two younger children, Gina and I, uh, Elijah and uh, Haley. And Haley's out in California trying to pursue a, a music career right now. And uh, Elijah's in school and going oh, to school. And you're empty nesters. Close. Super close. We're yeah. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're at the stage where uh, the younger ones are um, launching, but they're coming mm-hmm. back and can stick around yeah. and, and yeah. stuff. We, we, we have the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's exciting. I hear you talk about you have grandkids now. Yeah. You like being a grandpa? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you were a Absolutely. fun one too. Yeah, occasionally. I, it's kind of funny. So my youngest grandson, his name is Felix. and my, That's a cool name, by the and, way. Yeah, I know. And I, for some reason, I <laughs> I couldn't remember his name one day, and I kept thinking, Shrek. I don't know why Shrek kept coming to me. <laughs> and I kept thinking, because Felix the cat was what I, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of. And uh, so anyway, I'm like, no, it's not Shrek. It's not Shrek. So anyway, I happened to tell my daughter, Mallory, later. She's I said, like, oh my I gosh, remember. Dad. I couldn't. I said, I'm getting too old. I can't remember my grandkids' names. I kept thinking it was Shrek and it's Felix, you know, and she started laughing. And so it's kind of this, the joke in the family is now mm-hmm. they call him baby Shrek. So oh, that know. stuck. Yeah. That's going to be totally a yeah, nickname for him. Funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's go to um, then some of these uh, episodes of your missions where you've had to go out and, and uh, recover people that have been severely injured and stuff. Talk about a couple that really stand out in top of your mind that were ones that you've had to go to that made you personally reflect on life and the value of it based on what you saw. Wow. Um, first off, let me say that I consider myself to be incredibly fortunate to get to do something that, you know, I feel very, 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 blessed to be able to do, uh, to fly. And I always say it's just dumb luck and timing. I happen to kind of be in the right place at the right time. It's not, I don't possess any magical, excuse me, magical skills or anything like that. Um, but I would probably emphasize too, um, that this isn't just a me, it's a, it's a team effort, whether it was working in the military or working in, uh, with air matter life flight, Mm -hmm. uh, or the department of public safety, um, it's all a team effort and, uh, it's not just me. I happen to just kind of be the monkey that happens to be flying the, uh, the helicopter and stuff, but it's all, like I say, it's all orchestrated and, and, and we work really, it's called crew resource management is what it's really called. And, uh, the other big caveat that, that came in is called, uh, just culture. Um, for a long time, the, um, Hames industry or helicopter or ambulance, whatever you want to call it had a bad rapport, you know, you, you turn on the news, hey, crash, you know, Life Flight lost some helicopters, Air Med lost some helicopters, DPS has lost some helicopters. And a lot of times those were due to the fact that, like back to what you were talking about earlier about the, the 
poor weather that we would fly in at yeah. times and stuff like that. And so they kind of came along, the NTSB and the FAA, and started implementing some some good changes. And one of those is this just culture. And, and this goes into um, medical areas and all sorts of areas where people can be maimed or hurt. And what just culture is, is basically empowering in, in the case of what I was doing, the other crew members to speak up if they didn't like something, if they felt that something was becoming unsafe. It wasn't, and they used to kind of, it used to just be, hey, the pilot made the decisions and you just, you didn't cross the pilot, you know, they ran into this in the airline industry and stuff like that where subordinate, you know, uh, co-pilots or engineers on board flights were afraid to speak up when they thought the captain was doing something wrong and it caused a number of crashes. Is there a lot of life. ego? You know, a lot of it, ego involved in it. Yeah, a lot of ego, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And so they realized that, you know, they had to change that environment. And uh, so, you know, like Air Med had a pretty substantial crash. I'm trying to remember the year. I want to say it was, was it 96, somewhere around there. I can't remember. They had a crash up Little Cottonwood Canyon that, that took out the whole crew. They'd been trying to rescue a guy that had gotten caught in an avalanche. Um, and that was kind of a watershed moment for Air Med. Mm -hmm. They ended up changing the way they were doing business back then. And like I say, the paramedics, the nurses, respiratory therapists, and other people that are flying on board the aircraft actually could speak up and say, I'm no longer comfortable with doing this flight. And that would terminate the flight right there. It didn't matter what the pilot said interesting if if one person said i no longer want to do this flight or if they're in the air and they said i want to terminate this flight that's what you did and that's uh, really interesting um i would think that you'd really need to get tight you know as a crew and yeah. everyone would need to respect each other and that if the um, someone on the crew or not the pilot felt like it was a little bit too dangerous and they were just feeling a little heebie and the mm -hmm. pilots still felt like, you know, we got to go, we could do it and calm them down. Is there any kind of, you know, collaboration and, and convincing for a moment that, Hey, I really do feel like we can do this, you know, but if it does get worse, we'll, we'll, we'll turn around. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, a good point to bring up, you know, and, and because like where I said, I've been flying for 35 years, my comfort level is going to be different than a brand new nurse that's yeah. never flown before a paramedic or a respiratory therapist or one of the tactical flight officers that I flew with in the highway patrol. And so what you want to do is you want to empower them and say, Hey, I expect you to pick, you know, to, to say something. If you're uncomfortable with something that's going on here, you need to speak up. Don't be afraid that I'm going to ridicule you or anything else like that. You know, you have a voice in this aircraft. Yeah. It's not just me. And so what would happen is, is, exactly what you're talking about you know some of them would become nervous about something and so i would say okay let me explain to you why i believe that we can still accomplish this and do it safely interesting and at the end of that conversation if they f still, still didn't feel, feel then we terminated the mission interesting yeah and what so, are some of the conditions that are the most dangerous well so let's take the kobe bryant crash yeah Back in 2020, I happened to be down in L.A. for a conference down there when that transpired. And I remember getting up in the morning at my hotel, and he, it wasn't that far from where he, the uh, crash occurred. And I remember looking out thinking, holy smokes, man, it's hard IFR. Uh, IRN, IFR stands for Instrument Flight Rules uh, or Regulations, whichever one you want to use. Um, and that's basically how all of your major airlines fly. 
they're flying instruments. The pilots visually take off and land the aircraft, but the rest of the time, they're on instruments inside the cockpit, and they're flying from nav aid to nav aid to nav aid. Well, in the helicopter industry, we, cut, we joke around and we say, I fly IFR. In other words, I follow roads. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and so, so a lot of times we're dealing with low ceiling visibility that you have, like when you have a storm move in and stuff like that. The beauty of a helicopter is you can land it anywhere. As a matter of fact, one of the guys that was president of uh, Helicopters Association International, a guy named uh, Matt Zaccaro, I think was his last name. Anyway, he was president. And he finally came out with this statement, and it said, flight not going well, land the damn helicopter. Because you can literally put a helicopter, we could put it down in your yard if we needed to, you know. I mean, that's the beauty of them. Whereas with an airplane, yeah, obviously you a, need a runway. runway yeah. yeah, yeah. So and, and so that's what was killing a lot of people. And it's, it's basically, I'm sure that once they get all the investigation into Kobe Bryant, and I've been hearing some stuff about um, that there was some pressure on the pilot from Kobe to continue the flight. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's true or not. You know, I just kind of heard this through the grapevine, but there is that pressure that can be put upon a pilot to continue into marginal weather. And that's, you know, obviously we start looking at that whole accident and I've been in a situation similar to that. And luckily I survived it. And uh, I actually was in it twice. And the first time, I credit was saving my bacon the second time I got myself into that situation. But the you know, looking at the Kobe Bryant thing, if you do not, as a pilot, get onto the instruments once you've gone into the clouds, you have, I, I use this analogy. I tell people, you've been driving along in your car, especially at night, and all of a sudden you run into fog on the freeway. You're doing 70 miles an hour and boom, all of a sudden you hit that fog yeah. that you're not anticipating. That's what it's like in a helicopter when you all of a sudden go into the clouds. You have no outside visual references. Mm -hmm. And so you're flying blind, just like you're driving blind. Now, you have the luxury when you're in your car to hopefully you don't run into anybody in front of you. And you try to get off the road and then hope that nobody runs into the back of Right, you. like that dust storm not right. too long ago. exactly. And so you see it time and time again. In a helicopter or a small airplane or that you know you don't have that luxury all of a sudden man you're in it and so we were taught in flight school and it's something that you teach you're taught um is to basically get the aircraft wings level or just get the attitude of the aircraft level and initiate a climb okay and you go straight up not straight up but start a, a gradual climb like 500 foot per minute to a thousand foot per minute and to keep your heading unless you know you've got an obstacle right in front of you, which a lot of times you're not going to know if you do or don't. But it's a very, it can be very disconcerting. You, you punch in, and I'm, I'm here to tell you, and I, I know this because it's happened to me twice in my career, 35 years, and I hope it never happens again. Yeah. Um, even though you've been trained what to do, your overriding gut instinct is to get back to visual referencing, mm -hmm, finding the mm -hmm. ground and stuff. And this is what kills people in, in, in doing this. Um, they don't get on the instruments. They don't do what they're trained to do time and time again. And it's been proven. The FAA, the NTSB have shown this, how it's time. And what happens is they call it controlled flight into terrain. 
and they don't do what they're trying to do. They try to get back. They start looking for the ground and, and they hit it too hard. Yeah. They just hit, you know, boom. And in, in Kobe's uh, helicopter, it ran directly into the side of a, a hill out there, didn't it? Yeah. If you look at that, he became so disoriented. They start call it's what they call seat of the pants flying. In other words, even if you get onto your instruments as a pilot, and it, like I say, this it doesn't matter how much time you have as a pilot. It's one of those things that catch you, catches you so by surprise that you become overwhelmed and completely disoriented, and you can no longer figure out where you are in relationship to the Earth. So he literally, if you look at the track of that of that helicopter, he basically was going back and forth, went pretty much kind of straight up and then just basically straight into the ground. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a tragedy and it keeps, uh. you know, it hits private pilots, commercial pilots, you mm. know, um, well, I'm glad that matter. did not happen to you in the two times that yeah. happened to you. Yeah. My no, gosh. And I, I attribute it to the first time was, is uh, in my military career. Um, we happened to be flying and, uh, I was with a good mentor of mine named Ernie and uh, I always say, what would Ernie do? Because he's just the most cool, calm, collective person I've ever met mm-hmm. in my entire life. And uh, awesome mentor to me. And uh, we happened to be up over Ogden. And he was trying to show me his mountain biking trail. And uh, we happened to be flying along. We were actually in an Apache. And uh, I was in the front seat and he was in the back seat. And so he gets done showing me his mountain biking trail. And it's getting dark. And, uh, he says, okay, you got the controls. And I said, okay, I got the controls. And I kind of glanced over and all of a sudden I didn't realize it because we'd gotten kind of fixated looking at his mountain biking trail, but there was this whole bank of clouds moving right in towards us. Oh no. Yeah. And, uh, I, I went, wow, where am I, where am I going to go? I had no place to go. You know, it was moving and it was moving fast and I couldn't go to the right cause we're right against the mountain and stuff. Boom. The next thing I know we're inside the clouds. And the only thing I did, the only thing I did, Bob, correctly, was I got power applied. But I did this uh, corkscrewing climbing turn up through the clouds. And I kept, you know, going, oh, man, we're in so much trouble. We're in so much trouble. Because back then, it used to be that if you busted in, this is called um, inadvertent IMC or instrument meteorological conditions, which is just another fancy way of saying you're going into the clouds. And it's inadvertent, so, you know, you didn't plan on it. But they would kind of take away your license, you know, at that time. They'd take mm. away your wings. So that's what's going through my head. Oh, man, I'm going to lose my wings. You know, we're not supposed to do this. What did Ernie do? And Ernie was just, <laughs> he's just sitting in the back. And I always say it was the best learning experience of my entire life. Because Ernie basically just let me flounder. And I floundered big time. I made Every cardinal mistake you could make other than I got the climb going. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't keep my heading. I should have picked a heading and kept to it. And instead, I'm doing this corkscrewing climb. And then all of a sudden, there'd be like a tiny little break in the clouds. And I, by now, it's gotten dark. And I could see like the lights of Logan. That's how high up we were. And I thought, I'm going to go there. And boom, the clouds sucked oh, me back in again, you know. And I kept doing it. And it, we were probably only in it for about five minutes. And then finally, Ernie in this very calm voice comes over and he goes, Hey, Hutch, why don't we just pick a heading and fly the heading and see if we fly out of this? And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, yeah, 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 let's do that. Let's do that. You know, and uh, so he kind of comes on the controls with me and we get this 
westerly heading established. And, and I mean, all these thoughts, Bob, are running through my head except for what should have been going through my head. Fly the aircraft, fly the aircraft. But you, all of a sudden, you just kind of get into this panic mode. And I've seen people time after time after time have the exact same thing happen to them. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you that when we landed two hours later, I was still drenched in sweat. Oh. I mean, that's how yeah, nerve-wracking it was. Yeah, and I kept going, oh, man. You know, because at first I thought, we're going to die, we're going to die, you know. And, and then I kept, and then I, what I did was literally, for probably the next two to four months, I beat myself up over what I had done wrong. Hmm. I kept trying to analyze, why didn't I do what I was trained? And so I kept going over the scenario time after time after time. And I kept, and, and I realized it was because I was so far out of my comfort zone that I chose not to, you know, do what I'd been trained to do. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, this is why people die. This is why they die in this. I'm sure it's what happened, like I say, in the Kobe uh, situation. Yeah. And, and yeah. every year you see multiple examples of this happening. We've had mm -hmm. it happen numerous times here in Utah and stuff like that. And it's yeah. really a tragedy. That's the thing with Utah weather is that if you wait five minutes, it'll change exactly. to something else. So it and, can really... Well, yeah, and like I say, hey, you. that's the job that in my next life I'm coming back as a weather forecaster. It's the only yeah. job that you can be wrong over 50% right. of the time and, and still keep your job, right? Yeah, seriously, yeah. yeah. So. so you um, have had to fly into the mountains and everything quite yeah. a bit here uh, for avalanche retrieval. Mm -hmm. They call you guys out for that. Um, tell me, if is there any particular type of accident or something that you've had to fly into what does that do to you as the pilot when you fly in and you see these guys the kind of wrecks you've seen or or um death that has happened out there on our highways or in the mountains what does it do to your psyche as you go out? how do you feel as a pilot working in that condition you know for me it hasn't been that big of a deal, I guess. And I guess part of the reason is, is because ever since I was in high school, I worked in the operating rooms, first at Cottonwood Hospital, later on up at LDS Hospital. And so I've been around a lot of trauma and stuff and seen a lot of death and that. Um, for some of the guys that I've worked with, though, it, it has been unsettling, so to speak. Um, it's kind of like you get into the situation and you, you just try to help the best you can you realize that you know in some cases you might make a difference and in others uh it's too late and uh, there's there's one that in a in a bit maybe another time you and i'll sit down and talk about um that still weighs heavily on my mind i don't want to talk about it right now okay um there's still some things going on with it um but yeah i'd like to maybe address that with you sometime in the future is there any that you could talk about that is one of the things you least um, uh, like to attend to when you're in a helicopter and what was the coolest, brightest moment of hope and miracle that you flew into? Um, one of the ones that, well, in doing the job with, with the highway patrol, um, you'd see a lot of unfortunate suicides. We'd get called out on a lot of a lot of those types of things. And those are never easy to deal with for anybody. What kind of suicide? Where somebody just goes off into the wilderness? Um, you'd see everything from people that have gone off into the wilderness and shot themselves to people that have jumped off of cliffs to, you know, you name it. Uh, it's yeah. quite the gambit. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then we get called out on searches a lot 
you know, for people that, you know, unfortunately have taken a fall, you know, haven't committed suicide or anything, have just taken a fall or, you know, and we've had some, some rough ones. There's, there's been some where children have been involved. Um, probably one of the, the saddest ones for me was there was a, uh, a bishop a few years back who was flying back from Arizona with his two young children. I don't know if you recall that. They were down uh, just outside of Beaver, and uh, they had they lost contact with the aircraft, and we got called out that night, and we searched, man, I think till 4 in the morning looking for him, kind of lousy weather and everything else. Um, we actually... Uh, they actually had two of our crews out. They called out the other one because uh, it became such high profile uh, that they had another ship come down with a crew, and they started the search in the morning while we were getting some rest. And about the same, about the time we came back into the area, they located the uh, the wreckage, and unfortunately, nobody had survived. But uh, mm-hmm. it was it was that's one of the hardest ones I think that for me to have gone on, you know, because you'd see these pictures of of. Uh, this bishop and his two young children and, you know, just so full of life and everything. And, and yeah, it was, that was a difficult one. How do you, how do you get through those moments? I got through that one. I mean, we, I chose not to go look at the wreckage. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wanted the last memories of, uh, that father and, husband and his and his two children to be what I'd seen on TV with him on their shoulders and yeah. you know, just full of life and stuff. And, you know, um, his wife was pregnant, I believe with their third child at the time, you know, and she, she was at home and it was just one of oh. those ones. It was just so tragic. I mean, we kept, we actually had left at one point and kind of terminated for the night. And, uh, we got a, call from sheriff perkins down there and he said hey somebody's seen a light it's over in this direction so we went back and got in the aircraft and flew back out and uh searched again for hours on end because i mean there's that overwhelming desire uh, inside to to help these people and stuff and not not just because it's a dad and his kids you know to anybody but this, particularly this one i think it's it's harder when there's children involved you know what's interesting about you, and I know that this has happened a few times, if not many times, there's an odd coincidence, and there's probably no coincidence, but that you happen to be at the right place at the right time. You you have a gut level, something in your head and your heart triggers, and you find these people, and that they'll just be where you look. Tell, tell us a couple of situations that has been just... A, uncanny how you've been able to find someone when it was super hard and you almost called it off and you found them. What did you feel like inside? What kept you going? Well, there's always that drive that you, you really want to find them and you really want to help people and stuff like that. And I can't say that it's me necessarily as it is the crew. I mean, we've had, it's, and like I say, it's not just the crew. Um, when I was with the Aero Bureau, it was also, um, a lot of the, uh, sheriff's deputies, the search and rescue volunteers, you know, these people all contribute to it. And uh, there was a a case with a gentleman down in Bryce Canyon. Uh, Let's see, it was about a year ago this last October. They'd been out, we'd been out looking for him for a couple of days. And uh, anyway, one of the sheriff's deputies happened to spot this small, tiny blue backpack up in this um, 
canyon where there was no trails going into it or anything and we thought i remember kind of being a little pessimistic thinking oh he's not up there you know but and we couldn't find any place to land and finally we found a place to land that was about a mile away and we hiked up through this ravine and i happened to be with uh landon uh, one of the tactical flight officers and uh, steve matheson who was the mechanic for us and uh we were walking up through this dry riverbed and uh we're calling out this guy's name and then all of a sudden we heard him go yeah and I thought it was Landon just playing a joke you know and I said that's not funny Landon and he goes that wasn't me and we went up and sure enough there was this gentleman who'd been missing for I mean I don't know if you know it or not but people when they start getting hypothermic they start to take off clothing yes yes I know that as an EMT yeah so we got up there and he didn't have his shoes on anymore he'd lost his glasses didn't have his coat and he was he was really hypothermic and stuff and so we got him up and got him going uh put landon volunteered to give up his boots and put him on him we we're going to try to walk him out of there and then we found out he couldn't even walk out we had to literally carry him out of there and stuff like that wow so you know there's those there's those that you go wow man that was that was it's very rewarding you know yeah. to, to see somebody um actually come out on the right side of things. And then you have the ones, like I say, that, that it's just heartbreaking. You know, you just kind of, and you grieve, you grieve with people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, so. Oh, I bet that's so sad. And, uh, you're, you're a sensitive guy. You're a total warrior and brave, gutsy, gritty guy, but I, you have a big heart and I'm sure you get, um, I wouldn't go that far. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I don't know what I'd call me a warrior or anything. I just, I just, really am grateful that I've been able to, to do these jobs over the years. I mean, I yeah. consider myself incredibly fortunate to, to have been able to do it. Um, I think the one that you were referring to earlier when you said electrifying. Or yes. Whatever. Yes. Tell us about that story. So we were down in the, uh, Twisher mountains a few years back and, uh, I was flying some biologists. We were actually up there counting, uh, the mountain goats, the white mountain goats and stuff. And, uh, Anyway, it really wasn't me. It was a, a very alert highway patrolman, and I can't even remember his name to give him credit right now, um, who happened to hear over the radio that there were two girls that had been struck by lightning up in the mountains. And uh, anyway, he happened to come up over the radio because he heard me talking on it when I was checking in uh, with flight ops. And... Uh, he said, hey, we've got two girls that have been struck by lightning in this area. Will you see if you can locate them for us? Because it's, it's, it takes EMS and stuff quite a ways to get up. That's quite a high mountain down there and stuff. And they were up at about 10,000 feet. Where is that in Utah for just so that so people can of, visualize it? Yeah, they're down uh, right outside of Beaver, kind of a little bit to the northeast of Beaver. Which is just north of, of uh, St. George, Utah. Well... Now it's it's quite a ways north of St. George, but um, I'm trying to think of the ski Eagle Point. I think is a ski resort mm. that's down there. I think that kind of gives you a reference. I think that's the name of it. Anyway, um, so we happened to kind of go down there, and so I'm flying around. I just gotten fuel on board the aircraft. Had three biologists with me, and uh, this happened to be our older airframe. That's not quite as uh, 
got quite the horsepower in the engine that we, we should be up in those mountains. It's great for counting uh, the goats and the sheep and stuff like that. But anyway, yeah. we're flying around, and uh, so we actually happened to locate them. They started waving us down and stuff, but I couldn't land up there because of the power performance of the, the helicopter. So what I ended up doing was finding this big, long dirt road, and I was able to do what they call a run-on landing and be able to kick the biologists out. I kept one of them with me, and we were then able to – with the performance of the aircraft go over there and landed in the field um walked up and uh you know the mom's sitting there with the one girl i mean you know shoes had been blown off their clothes had been burned and everything and i just looked at him i said who's the worst and she says this one that she had in her arms and i said let's go mom and uh you know i just took her in and i buckled her in the aircraft and uh, we flew her down there to um the hospital right out, uh, yeah, it was Beaver Hospital. Flew her down there and uh, got her into the emergency room. And then I, after I got them dropped off, I went back up and, and picked up the other girl. Uh, by then, EMS had showed up on scene. So I just said, hey, give me your um, EMT and have them come with me with her and, and stuff. She wasn't quite as bad as the first girl was. But, uh, but we still struck and yeah, yeah, they Yeah, they'd both yeah mm-hmm. taken a pretty pretty bad hit so luckily they were able to get in there i from what i understand the first girl her airway collapsed right after she got to the hospital so luckily they were able definitely to get saved her life right yeah, there so it, it came out but but really kudos to whoever the highway patrolman was and i wish i could think of his name right now i can't um but he was the guy with heads up you know he was like yeah hey you know we got this going on can you go over there and see if you can help so them? smart to do yeah. that yeah yeah. So to save time, it yeah. definitely saved that little girl's life. Yeah. And it was really cool that you had the tactical skills, you know, to get that helicopter in, make key critical decisions on, you know, what kind of weight you had to take off so you can put them on, get them over there, get them to the hospital, come back. All that was quick, really on your feet thinking. And, and, uh, I commend you for that. I think it's really cool. I know you're super humble guy and you don't want to take credit for for anything but you know what i'm giving you credit for that that was that was a cool call those parents are probably ecstatic you saved those kids and your your team performed well that day yeah they did they did i mean it's it was just happened to be one of those things where you're in the right place at the right time and things come together so do you think uh just a kind of a like a uh you know interesting question in that do you think that there's a any kind of intervention sometimes, you know, that, that you happen to be in the right place, right time that, that, um, you know, people are safe for a re or, you know, that, that something magnificent happens that helps save their life. You know, that's a good, good question. I think that there's a side of me that wants to say, yeah, maybe yeah. there's a side that goes, well, maybe not, you know, it's I, just I life. Know. Yeah. It's just life. I mean, you know, you, you talk about, you know, things, and I've listened to some of the podcasts that you've done. And I mean, I've had promptings in my own life, you know, where I've literally like heard this voice going, slow down, slow down, slow down, you know? Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm in, in this head on collision and I'm thinking, man, if I had kept the speed that I was going at, I I might've been dead or I may have killed them. Right. Right. And, and yet I've had others where, you know, I've gotten into accidents on my motorcycle like a head-on on on my motorcycle or there was no voice or anything warning me i mean it's 
lady just turns left in front of me and I'm, I literally, the only thought that went through my mind is this is where I'm going to die, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, totaled out my motorcycle, totaled out her car, you know, and is literally right in front of primary children's hospital and stuff like that. And it was kind of one of those fortunate place to wreck mister. That was really, uh, you'd think so. Wouldn't yeah, you? yeah. Yeah. But here's the crazy part. So literally from like, I thought I was going to go over the front of her car. Yeah, I did. And I went straight up in the air, oh. probably about 15 feet. Cause I was doing about 50 miles an hour when I hit her car and came down on the roof and the front windshield and hit the pavement. And, uh, I'm not kidding you. I had like two emergency room technicians and two doctors and three nurses around me within seconds. seconds. Yeah. Cause everybody was going to work that morning. Oh and here's gosh. the crazy part. It took them like almost 40 minutes to get an ambulance to me, to drive me like two blocks That's crazy. to the University yeah. of Utah. Yeah, yeah because their, their standard re response time is uh, under yeah. five minutes and, and they, <laughs> somebody was asleep at the switch that day. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. I've yeah. had that same thing happen to me where I had a person, an older woman, pull right, turn left in front of me mm -hmm. and I hit her broadside with my motorcycle, flew over the car and completely supermanned it and yeah. went over and landed on my shoulders, rolled and stood up. And, uh, really, yeah, yeah. Totaled my bike and, yeah. and didn't do anything to me. Yeah. And, uh, so I, that I thought for sure I'm dead. Yeah. One football practice and now I'm history, but yeah. sometimes you just, you just come out on the winning side yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I, and I, what I want to make sure that people understand, you know, and listen to this podcast is that, um, th there's, it's not like God has any favorites or, you know, no, that, some, that, that, that there's that. any kind of. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be saved for a reason. Some people won't, um, that it's just life and life happens. It's what you do with the time you have left and what you do from that memory. Because if you make it, are you going to do anything different? And you, Brett Hutchings, have you lived your life really just, you always seem like you're just so full of life. You want to just get everything out of life. You can, that's just the way you are. Has it made you even more so when you see death, you've been around death, you've almost died yourself. Are you a different Brett Hutchings today than you were years ago? Yeah, definitely. I think we're all, you know, you, you grow and you mature hopefully throughout life and stuff like that, you know, and you, you look at things, life experiences and that. And it was kind of funny because when I was younger, everything used to be, I, I kind of was more about material possessions you know you got to have a house you got to have a car hey and in my case i wanted the boat and i wanted you know i even wanted an airplane and all these other you know and as as you start going through you realize those things don't really bring you any kind of happiness no and um you know as as i kind of was going through life um you know i i look at it and i am incredibly fortunate to be married to an amazing lady you know her you know how amazing she is. Yeah, and, I do. you know, that's probably the only time I think that God intervened in my life because I'm pretty certain that he and Jesus went, if we don't get this moron some help, he's just going to keep screwing up by the numbers, you know? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, we're either yeah. going to have to take him home right now or let <laughs> yeah. him go with some angelic person like yeah. Gina. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. She definitely is my best friend, my rock. And and she has done so many things that have made me see how messed up my priorities used to be when it was about material things. Like she's gotten us involved in, in, uh, we went down to the Dominican Republic where she'd done a mission and we got involved in helping to build a clinic down there for this very poor section of the Dominican Republic. And, 
And that was just really, you know, uh, and then a good friend of hers named Val got us, got us involved in going down to this orphanage down in Tuxla, Mexico. And that's where my heart is. You know, that's where, as a matter of fact, I get to go down there on the 20th of this month and I'm ecstatic. I'd rather go there than go on a cruise or the ultimate vacation. Uh, there's something about going down to this orphanage. The, the lady that started it, they call her Mama Liz, and she is just the most amazing person with the most faith of anybody I've ever met in my life. And she is just an incredible human being. And you want to talk about faith in God she puts it all there hmm. and she takes in, she has over a hundred children in this orphanage and gets zero support My gosh, from the state of Mexico or anybody. It's all through people that come down and, and help with the yeah. orphanage. And it's just an amazing experience. Well, I saw, um, I think it was on Instagram photos. Um, just looking up, you know, your, your past, uh, a picture of you with, um, one of these children, you know, in your lap and, um, it might be a really good picture to put out there um, when we post this podcast uh, so that people oh. can see kind of like the fun side of Brett Hutchings and the passion love you have for these kids. It's obvious. It's it's really cool. You know, you go down there and you hear the stories of the, the horrors that some of these children have been subjected to, and it just tears your heart out, literally. And uh, I, I leave there a changed person every time uh, I get I get pretty emotional about it mm -hmm. and uh, it makes me realize where my priorities need to lie. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing experience and it's one of those ones that I hope that people will really gravitate when they get the opportunity to, to take advantage, to help others. And like you say, you know, I've been fortunate enough in my career that it's been kind of a high profile, you know, thing in helping others. But the one thing that makes me feel like I do more than anything else for anybody is, is going to this orphanage and to these, to the clinic and stuff like that. So and, cool. Yeah. You're a good man, Brett. You, re you really are. And, and I, I know you don't like to hear that, but you are. And, um, so I, I believe Thanks, in Bob. you 100%. I thank you for your service. I think what you've done, you know, as a, as a helicopter pilot, as a human being and what you do as a man every day, you know, you're, you're a good guy. So thanks. Um, you know what? Thanks for uh, taking time of reflection and letting us share in your experiences. Yeah. Becoming a part of your journey ultimately impacts ours. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for doing these, Bob. It's been really fun. Uh, really gotten a lot out of it. Listening to your other things, you know, it's great that you're taking the time to to make a difference and stuff. So you got it, pal. All right, buddy. Hey, until hey, we, we see each other again, stay what alive to the great race. What's that? I thought we were doing the great race. You know what? Um, or did they do away with it? No, they still have the amazing race on, and you and I should be on that show. Gina said that we should. Let's, let's put in our papers. Okay. <laughs> okay, man. Take care. All right, man. Thanks. See you, bud.